This episode of the Autism Dead podcast is brought to you by Bennett Life. Hey, it's Rob Gorski, and I'm here with my 14-year-old Emmett. And we want to talk to you about this new probiotic, Neurali, that he and I have been taking, I don't know, about two months now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Neurali is a unique probiotic. It's the first of its kind where it actually regulates the happy hormones it, in the gut. That- Dad, let's not bore them with the science stuff. Let's just talk about how it's been affecting me since we've been taking it for the past two months. I have a lot of food sensitivities and I can't usually have like milk or ice cream without getting sick. And so with Neurali, it's been helping with uh, my sensitivities and I've been able to eat ice cream and have milk in my cereal again. It's been helping a lot and I think I'll pass it back to my dad for the rest. Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, I, I've noticed that you, you're not having as many issues with lactose-related stuff. And I've also noticed that you seem to be just a little more chill, like a little more relaxed, maybe less anxious. Yeah. Okay. So I'm noticing the changes, in, and they've been very positive. If you guys want to find out more about Neurali, you can visit BennettLife.com. That's B-E-N-E-D-L-I-F-E.com, or they can find a link in the description below. Perfect. Ooh, good catch, Emmett. Uh, Emmett's over there waving at me to remind me. <laughs> I forgot. If you use a discount code, the Autism Dad at checkout, you'll save 20% on your first order. Welcome to the Autism Dad podcast. I'm Rob Gorski. On this show, we talk about all things related to autism and parenting and ADHD and self-care and mental health and being a mom and being a dad. All of those things that are important and relevant in your life that we just don't talk about enough because it's either taboo or there's stereotypes attached to things or stigmas. And we have those conversations on this show because it matters, right? We don't have to agree with each other. We don't have to see things the same way, but we can have a conversation and learn something. So thank you for taking the time to tune in. I really do appreciate that. We've got a really good show for you guys today. Uh, my guest today is Madeline Cheney, and she's a mom to a child who has very, very rare genetic conditions. And she also has a podcast called The Rare Life. And uh, I stumbled across her on Instagram, and I thought you know, this would be a really good conversation because it's not very often that I can connect with someone or that I get to connect with someone who uh, can relate so closely to what I went through with my son, Gavin. Um, Gavin has a whole slew of really rare genetic conditions, and it's been a difficult journey, you know. Thankfully, he's doing really well, but uh, it hasn't been easy. So I'm excited to have this conversation because I know there's a lot of people out there who feel isolated and alone because they're dealing with something similar, and it'd be great to connect you guys together so you recognize that you're not alone, and maybe you can find some hope where you didn't see it before. So... Madeline, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Could you take a moment, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you're doing and what your journey has been like? Yeah. So my name is Madeline Cheney and I am a mom to two kiddos. Um, We live in Utah, kind of in the Salt Lake area. Um, My oldest daughter is Wendy and she is six. And then I have a son who is four and he has a rare medical condition and it is called chondrodysplasia punctata x-linked type 1. So as you can guess, not really anyone's heard of it unless you have a reason to know about it. Even the doctors have to go like research it before talking to us. This is 125 other known cases in the world. So it's super rare. Um, But yeah, he he's mostly, I guess, just to give like an overview of Kimball, which also kind of informs, you know, our journey and, and our experiences. But his um, syndrome is a rare form of skeletal dysplasia, which you know, it basically affects the bones and, and some organs too. So he ha- he's deaf blind. He has uh, vision loss and hearing loss. 
though not profoundly of either of those. So he can, he has some vision, he has some hearing, he has hearing aids for that. Okay. Um, he also um, has uh, dwarfism. And so he's just a little guy, um, you know, low muscle tone. He had a neck instability that was life-threatening, um, but that kind of was remedied um, by the time he's gotten older. And I think those are like the main things, but he's he's been through a lot. And by extension, we have as well. So um, because of that, when he was two years old on his second birthday, I launched uh, my podcast called The Rare Life. Um, and that was really to combat or to really, I guess, to a solution to the isolation I felt mm-hmm. in, um, you know, those first two, three years, because it started with my pregnancy where I didn't I couldn't I didn't know where to find community um, and where to find other people who understood what I was going through, and what I'd gone through, because my you know fa- friends and family had no idea. And that made it an already really painful situation that much more painful and hard to deal with. Yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying. You know, one of the most challenging parts of being a parent to a child with a rare condition or a child with disability is that that overwhelming feeling of loneliness and isolation. And when you do that long enough, it becomes hopelessness and despair. And having having mm-hmm. that ability to connect with other people, even if it's just online, can can help provide comfort and uh, consolation for, for all of the people out there who are, who are struggling. So it really does, it really does make a difference. Yeah, totally. And one thing I thought of too, of like, what you were saying that is that like, I think a lot of times we feel like we can't, or we shouldn't talk about the hard stuff, mm-hmm. um, just in life in general, but then also with this, we, you know, with, with, in our parenting. And I think it's really important. It's important to talk about the really hard stuff. And yes, we can celebrate and be excited about the awesome stuff. But I do find that like the most, the, the mo- like the best connections that I've had, the most healing connections I've had is when we're talking about stuff that's really hard and like really heavy. And um, just recently, I saw this Instagram post by this awesome, you know, life coach that I love. And she was basically like, I like a lot of parents will talk about, you know, what's hard about, you know, the situation with their child, but I will never talk about what was hard. I will only talk about what's positive. I want to focus on what's positive and like, you know, how well I'm doing now in ways that you can do that too. And I, and I, as I read that, I was like, I I feel like she's missing it. She's missing the point here. I feel like that is how we connect is how is talking about the hard stuff. And then the, you know, here are some tools, but I don't know. I, I think I just, am a huge fan of the, of talking about the stuff that we don't often talk about because those are the things that we really need to connect on. We need to know that we're not the only ones struggling with things and also having these thoughts that were like, what parent has ever thought this? Surely no one else has thought this. I'm a horrible mom, yeah. which in reality, we probably have all thought, you know, these things. Yeah. I think that's called toxic positivity, right? Yeah, totally. Yep. Hearing those stories, even the negative stuff can help people. It can kind of bring them into the fold and, and just sort of remind them that they're not alone. And it, it makes a big difference. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this when you, when you were first going through the process of, of learning about the diagnosis or trying to find answers for what was going on, did you ever find yourself going to appointments where you are, you feel like you're going there for answers, but then you walk out with not only no answers, but more questions. I, I found that so frustrating. And I was just wondering if that's something that, that you have experienced in your journey. I think that is, that's, you know, having more questions and answers, we've definitely experienced, um, 
in regard to our son's like various symptoms with his syndrome. And we are very lucky to have had a, a syndrome diagnosis right off the bat. Like I was still pregnant with him when we got that diagnosis and it turned out to be correct after he was born. Okay. So in that way, we were really lucky. I feel like there are so many parents I've talked to, though, that um, have less information or don't even have a diagnosis. And a lot of times, um, you know, there is that really scary feeling of just being completely out of control um, and just kind of spiraling of like what. So this has happened and this has happened. Then anything can happen. I think yes. that's kind of a, an overall feeling, especially with rare diagnoses, because it's like, OK, one out of 100, you know, there's. 125 in the world. I did the math the other day. That's like one out of like 5 million or something or 20 million. I can't remember what it was. It was ridiculous. And I was like, I think once something like that happens, it really does feel like, well, doesn't just anything can happen. Like, yeah. Let's, you know, it feels like total chaos. And I think, um, you know, I was just talking to a mom about this on, on my show about like that illusion of control that we have and that we kind of cling on to and that you know, when we have these children, we kind of have to figure out how to let that go, which can feel really scary, especially when it is life threatening. You know, you're like, I don't want to give up on my child. And I think it's very different than that. I think it's just coming to terms with the fact that there are things that we can control um, and there are things that we can't. And that's you know true in life in general. But like, you know, I can take my child to these therapy appointments. I can take them to the hospital for these other appointments and kind of manage these symptoms. I can be proactive. I can, you know, trust my, my parent gut, mm -hmm. but I can't control whether or not they die or I can't control whether or not they regress or I can't control whether they're in pain, which can be horrible as yeah. a parent because we don't want any of those things to happen to them. And I think, you know, kind of that, that, uh, protective defensive side of us, um, is a bit tortured in these situations when we can't we can't mama bear, papa bear out of this. Like we can't just protect them out of it. And um, I think that really jacks us up. Like it's just, it's really, really difficult to to be in that situation. You can't fix it. Um, no, you can't. And that's horrible. <laughs> I was just thinking about some of the journey with Gavin and, you know, so much time was spent constantly reprioritizing things in and it got to the point where it just felt like I was doing nothing but putting out fires. And, and that's something that's really difficult for people to understand if they're not experiencing that firsthand. It, it makes life so much more challenging uh, when you can't make progress because you're just constantly putting out fires. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just what you say. It's, it's running around putting out fires. And that's really, especially, I mean, my son has stabilized a lot in the last year. And so we're not as much in this situation. But before, I mean, it was like, this huge handful of specialists and therapists, all of them telling us that, no, this symptom is most important. You need to like focus mm -hmm. on this one. And my therapies are most important. You need to make sure that like, if he doesn't do X, Y, Z, he'll never be able to sit up or he'll never be able to walk. And if you don't do these therapies every day or like just these ultimatums that were just crushing because it's like, I'm one person. Not only, I mean, I'm like, I'm one person that's very imperfect with a husband and with a two-year-old who's struggling and you, you know what I mean? Like you're just trying to live like all the, just living as a parent is a lot. And so adding on like all of these, like, this is most important. No, this is most important. Um, and then trying to prioritize in some way. Um, I've, I mean, it's just crushing. It's crushing. And um, I argue that we're often put past or pushed past our capacity. 
<laughs> I, oh yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. You know, the process with Gavin was exhaustive. Like we, we went through all kinds of testing, everything that the doctors could think of, you know, they did to make sure that we could rule out whatever it was and make sure that we addressed whatever was addressable. The, the problem was that you're chasing answers that you may never find. And, and then you reach that point of diminishing returns, right? Where there's just, there's just no benefit to doing some of this stuff or the benefit, it doesn't outweigh the cost of what he has to go through. And I started to realize that, you know, finding answers was more about me than it was him because the answers weren't really going to change anything, right? The outcome was going to be the same regardless. And, and what he had to go through in order to, to find those answers, potentially find those answers was, it was, it was brutal sometimes. I mean, it, it was, it was painful and it was exhausting and it was scary. And I mean, this poor kid didn't even finish high school. He, I, I had to pull him out his freshman year because he, uh, his health was failing, you know? And, and so it's really easy to, when you are on that search for answers or a name for something that you're fighting against, to, to lose sight of why you're doing this in the first place. And I, I think I lost sight of, of what was happening. And, and it was more about what I needed out of this than what Gavin did. And, uh, you know, I I had to make a choice and, and eventually it was just, we're just going to stop, you know, unless something else comes up, there's no purpose in doing this anymore. It's not fair to him and there's, there's no, there's no benefit from it, but that's, that's a really hard thing to resign yourself to. And it's just, it's just such a difficult situation to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you admitted that like, wait, is this for me or is this for him? Because I think a lot of the time, well, not a lot of the time, but I do think there are quite a few situations that we're in that if we did take a really hard look at it. Like, are we, am I just trying to make him less disabled or, you know, in in your case, am I, um, you know, do I really crave this answer because I want to feel some, I, you know, in a little bit more control, this is so chaotic. I need something to hold on to, which totally makes sense. Like, obviously any of us would feel that way. And, um, and so I think that's really very, um, self-aware to like, take a step back and to ask yourself, like, wait. Is this and I think it's also often muddled because it's like, yes, a diagnosis for him would be awesome for him, it'd be awesome for you. Um, but to kind of like weigh it, you know, and to be like, well, this is what he's going through for this, you know, this potential, you know, is it worth it anymore? Like, should we throw in the towel? Which is also, I think, very humbling to say we've been working on this for so long and we're just gonna take a step back. Have you been able to connect with other parents who are dealing with a similar condition? As Kimball's or yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been able to connect with, um, there's actually this, this small Facebook group that is for the condition, which is amazing because it's like this, such a rare condition, but, um, um, you know, connecting with other parents with the exact same syndrome has been super cool. And it's sweet to see these other kids because I think a lot of times, um, with a syndrome and hopefully this is something that you guys get to experience, you know, if it gets a, an umbrella diagnosis, but it's so cool to to scroll through there and to see pictures of these other kids with the same syndrome and be like, they look like they're a bunch of little cousins. Like they have the very similar, they have like a unique, um, they don't have a nose bone or it's very small. And so they have very um, similar looking, you know, different facial uh, features mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's just like, it's so sweet to see these other families 
that you can relate with it to, in, to an extent that you can't relate with your own family, right? Or like, or even other right. people in the rare community. But I think it's just important to be like, but like, we don't all need to be experiencing the same things to all belong. And, and, you know, there's, there's such a spectrum of things that we're all going through. Um, and that, you know, we shouldn't isolate ourselves with that, those kind of thoughts, even though it's very natural. I think that comes up for a lot of us. Like, do I really belong because of X, Y, Z? Is my child too disabled? Is he not disabled enough? Like, you know, well, I don't have an actual diagnosis. Do I still belong in the rare? You know, I think like we all have isolating feelings like that. And if we are able to let those go and, and, and continue to connect anyway, I think, you know, that, that serves us a lot better. So I wanted to ask you this, when you have a child with a disability or rare condition or, or just really demanding additional needs, and you also have, uh, whether it's a neurotypical child or just a child that is, that doesn't need those same things, how do you find balance between the two? Because, you know, one child takes up so much of your time yeah. and yet your other child still needs that time from you, but it's really hard to come by. How do you, how do you balance all that out and, and make everything work? I mean, like short answer, like, and I guess I'm speaking from like the first few years, because that's when I feel like I was really in the trenches of like actually like, you know, doing the medical stuff mm -hmm. and, and all that since things have leveled out so much now. But um, I didn't balance it. Um, my daughter was two when my son was born. She I think she honestly, I think she would have really struggled regardless if he'd been born completely healthy, no disabilities like. I think she still would have really struggled being bumped from being like the only child, all of my attention. I was like a stay at home mom and everything. Like she got all my attention mm -hmm. and switching over to, you know, just having, I think a lot of it was like having parents that like, I was so unglued with everything. I was grieving. I was fearful that he was going to die. I was, you know, we were at the NICU with him um, all day long while she was with my mom. And then we came home, but then things got even worse when it was, you know, just trying to do it all ourselves with all the medical cares and, and the therapies. I mm -hmm. mean, it was, it was, it was hell. And I, you know, I witnessed her really, really struggling. And that was really, really hard because the way I describe it, and I actually did an episode about this because it, it's, it's like, it, it's one of the things that I regret or I'm saddest about, I think with my son's journey is actually how my daughter was also affected, but it felt like, I was drowning or, I, you know, I was just trying to keep my head above the water and like this like stormy water. And it felt like um, and I was trying to keep, you know, my baby up above the water, too. We're both. I'm just trying to keep him alive. I'm trying to like stay afloat and then looking over and seeing my two year old daughter that I love very much flailing in the water and be like, mommy, mommy, help me and not being able to yeah. help her. And um, I resented mm. her for it. I was like how dare you ask anything of me? Like I am, I am so beyond my max right now. How dare you need anything of me? And of course she's my two-year-old. I'm her mom. But, um, and I think, you know, those feelings of resentment were really scary to me for me to feel those towards my daughter. There was also other stuff going on where she would, you know, she was on to protect like her and like, I mean, she was hurting, but she, um, she would hit and hurt my, my son. Um, and so that was really hard because I was mama bear, like to the max, like trying to protect him from his own body, but then also yep. from his sister. And it, it was just, it was hell. Um, but I will say that like, as horrible as that was, and it lasted a long time, everyone's like, it's a phase, it's a phase. I'm like, yeah, it's like a two year phase. But, um, you know, here we are, I guess this is like the glimmer of hope is like, we, we figured it out. They developed a relationship. 
they love each other. And, you know, as brothers and sisters do, they fight and they play and you know, hmm. all the good things. Um, and, you know, I think it's just something that like, it's, it's one of the things that sometimes get, um, a lot of things get kind of flipped on their heads and, and, um, and, you know, sometimes the other siblings are, you know, that's one of the things that happens, um, with, with things that are really hard like this, like a diagnosis like this, or, you know, medical issues like this. And, um, I think kind of recognizing that, like, I'm not, I'm not the villain in this situation. No one is the villain. It's just that this is right. really hard and it's really hard for me and it's really hard for Kimball and it's really hard for Wendy and this all sucks and I can grieve all of it. I can grieve the fact that my son has to suffer. I can grieve you know, that we don't know if he's going to live. I can grieve that he will wear hearing aids his whole life because that was something I had to grieve too. And I can grieve that my daughter, you know, had to go through this too and that our relationship was really sketchy for a while. and that things weren't how I pictured, like the sweet little, you know, the siblings meet. But I do think, I just think that there's a lot to be said for like individual situations that she was having a really hard time. Um, and then I've talked to other parents who were like, oh my, the siblings are angels and, you know, they've, they're wonderful. And, and I think, you know, just trying to figure out your own groove and like just doing what you can. I mean, that's really all we can do. I think having that self-compassion, um, knowing that you can't control everything, you can't fix it all, you can't make it better for the child or your, or their siblings or your spouse, you can't fix it. And so I think, um, honestly, I guess that's probably not the advice people want to hear, but that's, I guess my, from my experience of like owning the fact that like, I I've come to the terms that like, I don't think I was doing anything evil or wrong. I think it just was sucky. And I don't think I'm doing anything angelic or super right now that they're, you know, now that they're better. Like I, it's just one of those things I think that you just have to roll with the punches and do your best and give yourself self-compassion when things suck. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one piece of advice that you could offer parents who might be going yeah. through something similar to what you're doing, whether they've been you know, on this road for a while or maybe they're just getting started off? Um, I think it would just be to like, I guess it kind of goes back to what I was saying, but like to give yourself space to struggle and for things to be sucky. Cause I think like if we do try to just like force it and we try or like, well, no, 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 I can't like this. I don't want it to suck. And I don't want this to be horrible. Like, which is understandable. Um, I think embracing the suck can help us actually for it to not be so hard because, so um, when we're, we're resisting that it does just make it harder. But when you can be like, you know what? I just got this diagnosis or, you know, or, you know what, I'm, I'm suspecting this diagnosis and we're about to go to the doctor and I'm scared of what I'm going to find out. If you can really lean into that and be like, yeah, this is horrible. I'm going to text my friends and I'm going to tell them. So, and so they're aware and I'm going to plan on like, I'm going to go buy some, a lot of chocolate ice cream. So it is in my freezer for when I get home from that, <laughs> right? Like just doing things to kind of like, if I can like really accept the fact this sucks and I'm scared and this is horrible, then I will do more things that are, I mean, I guess they fall under that self-care category, but like, and then maybe yeah. not like a manicure or whatever, but just like things like I am going to make sure we have nothing scheduled the next day because I bet I'm going to be really sad that whole day. You know, just things like that. I think they, it allows us to, to care better for ourselves and to be more gentle and, and empathetic to our, and you know, have that self-compassion, I guess, for ourselves and what we're going through. And so I think, you know, if you're having a good day and you're feeling positive, that's great. Like, you know, celebrate that, feel good. 
you're having a day or a week or a month or even a year, you know, where it's just like, you know, like this is really hard. Be like, you know, I think allowing yourself to struggle is really important. And it's a part of the process to be able to come to the other side of that. You know, it, I mm-hmm. think it, it, without resisting, we're able to work through it and, and, um, you know, there are brighter days ahead. It's just not to say like, yes, everything sucks and it's always going to suck and you should just accept it. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I think, you know, if if something is painful or you're you're hurting in some way, I think giving yourself that space to feel it um, and, and allowing yourself to like the validation of like, yeah, it makes sense that I'm feeling this. I'm not just a weak person like anyone would feel what I'm feeling right now, I think. Um, can be huge and being an ally for yourself and, and, you know, really getting through some really difficult things. Yeah, that's really uh, good advice. And I, I was thinking, I just had a conversation not too long ago with my friend Kate Swenson from Finding Cooper's Voice. And one of the things that we were talking about was how things do get better, right? Trying to instill hope in people who are like in the thick of it right now. And in a lot of times people have this, this thing in their head where, you know, for it to be better, it means there's a cure or there's an outcome mm. that just ends everything that's going on. And that's not always the case. You know, sometimes better is just an incremental change or, you know, you have additional support or, you know, something just goes in your favor. I mean, better can be all kinds of things. And when we open up our uh, perspective a little bit, we can find more positive in the thick of all the stuff that we're dealing with. So, when, when we focus on all those little victories, no matter how big or how small they are, uh, it helps to instill hope and helps gives us the strength we need to kind of keep getting back up after we fall and, and moving forward. Yeah. And I think, I, like you said, I think I would argue too, better can often be that you've gotten used to the idea. Because I think yeah. a lot of times, you know, like if it's a new diagnosis, I mean, that's really hard to process. But it's like at some point, I, like I've, we've had enough diagnoses that I've like learned that like, okay, at some point this will not seem as horrible as it does right now. You know, it always is, yeah, it always exactly. is more overwhelming and, you know, grief inducing at the beginning. But I think even, you know, it can be like, well, you know, in a few months or so, like maybe I'll be more okay with this than I am right now, or I'll have some more perspective or whatever. But I, I love that things do get better. Yeah. So even if it doesn't seem like it, things will get better. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people find you? So I am very active on Instagram. So my handle there mm-hmm. is the underscore rare underscore life. Um, and okay. then, you know, on Facebook, it's the Rare Life podcast. And then um, you can find the podcast anywhere, any you know podcasting platform, Spotify. Cool. I'll put all that information in show notes so people can just click and find yeah. you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And we'll be in touch. Before I close things out today, I want to say thank you to Madeline for taking the time to come on the show and talking about her journey as a parent and and providing us with so much insight into what her and her husband and her family have been dealing with and and how, uh, you know, what life has been like for her son and her daughter. And, you know, this is so important that we talk about this stuff as openly and honestly as we can, because there are so many people out there who are dealing with rare genetic conditions who feel very isolated, they feel very alone, they feel very defeated, they feel very hopeless. And one of the most powerful things about having a platform like this is being able to connect those people together so that you can realize and discover that you're not you're not alone, right? It's nowhere near as alone as you think you are. And even if the connection is online, you can learn things that can help change the course of, of the journey that you're already on. So 
Thank you, Madeline, so much for sharing as openly and as honestly as uh, you do and you did here. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. You can find all of Madeline's information in the show notes below. You can look up the Rare Life podcast on one of your favorite podcast listening apps. Be sure you subscribe to it because she's got some great content. Uh, as for me, you can find me at listen.theautismdad.com. All my information is at the top of the page. You can interact with this podcast there. You can leave feedback and submit show requests or topic ideas, or maybe you want to be a guest, maybe you want to be a sponsor. Uh, you can do all that right from the website and it's all in one place. It's very easy to use. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys think and your feedback. And remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. I appreciate the subscription. It really helps. And, you know, it's, it's a Monday, so I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week and I will talk to you on Friday. All right. Take care.